This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Or maybe we're supposed to be talking about the Westminster Dog Show, which happens this week, or, or maybe it's, it's we're talking about taking our wives out for Valentine's Day, but we're not. Nope. Instead, we're talking about the opening of football season, as in the Alliance of American Football. Okay, maybe we're not, but a lot of people are. Ron, did you see those TV ratings last weekend? They were off the charts. I did. I got a 2.1 overnight rating. They beat uh, the top-rated NBA game. We had two former NBA MVPs playing against each other. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. Difficulty, I think, for the for the uh, Alliance comes when they're not on primetime CBS and they move over to right. CBS Sports Network or whatever. But, hey, it was a great kickoff. We all like kickoffs. They didn't... T- they didn't. They didn't top the Grizzlies in Boston, did they? No, of course not. Are you kidding? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, Goose, the uh, AAF get much traction in Dallas. Gentlemen, Texas is to football any level of football what Minnesota is to hockey. <laughs> did you see the crowd size in San Antonio? Almost thirty thousand to see guys they'd never heard of. Well, I'll take well, that as a yes. Uh, all I know is that we the, love the our new football. league. <laughs> well, I, I love this league because it's got a team in San Diego, so uh, that's cool. And yeah, the fleet, uh, and over there. The fleet, yeah. But before we get to the fleet in the AAF, and we will, I want to give you today's lineup. We, we have Hall of Famer Champ Bailey with us. Champ, of course, was named to the Hall's Class of 2019. We have former Chiefs GM and President Carl Peterson, the man who drafted another Hall of Famer. That would be 2019 inductee Tony Gonzalez. And we also have running back Trent Richardson of, yes, the Alliances Birmingham Iron, where Trent last weekend produced a two, yes, two TD performance. Of course, we also have lots of Valentine's to give out, too. And since we're on the subject, guys, Goose, what are you doing February 14th? Treating my lovely bride to the greatest dinner of her life at her favorite restaurant. Nice. How romantic. I'm doing whatever my wife tells me to do, as I do every other day. (laughs) Hey, Ron, how about giving your wife a night at a Grizzlies game? Well, it's funny you should mention that because as luck would have it, we do have a one-hour practice session uh, Thursday night as we gear up for a big game this weekend. We got some tape to watch, so my but my wife is the mama bear of the team, so she'll be there. Well, how romantic! <laughs> well, happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there, and on with the show. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, before we get started, um, did you just see how Colts owner and, of course, friend of the show, Jim Irsay, defined the, quote, greatest team, unquote, of all time? You see that? Rod? Mm-hmm. Right? Anyone? Yeah. Oh, essentially... Yes, he said, to be considered the greatest, you must win three world championships in a row, which, of course, no one's done in the past 50 years and which looked like a shot at the New England Patriots, I think, Ron, because it was. So he clarified his comments and said the Patriots are the best team of the Super Bowl era, which, if I'm doing my math correctly, means over the last 53 years. But he reiterated his comment that you must win three straight to be the GOAT. And pardon me, Ron, but 53 is greater than 50. So what am I missing here? Uh, Well, what you're missing is that... uh Jimmy was making a statement of historic fact, which is what Talk of Fame Network is all about. There are two teams that have won the NFL championship three years in a row. The 29-33 Packers and the 65-67 to Packers. Last time I counted, three is greater than two in a row. What am I missing? Nothing. Hey, all, all that is Jimmy's opinion. Everyone has an opinion. My opinion? 
I'll take the 92-95 Cowboys over any four oh. of the Patriots. Oh, 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 oh goodness. Homer. Oh, my God. What Homer. Are you crazy? Oh, it would crush those guys. Oh, my I'll God. I'll put them up against the 49ers of the 80s. Anyway, uh, it looks like we might have to get Jim back on here to explain himself, but maybe then we can ask him about Bill Polian's Alliance of American Football League. Yeah. Wow, as I said, what a start. I mean, it's a developmental league, but not if you look at last week's TV ratings and Goose had surpassed the NBA and Pebble Beach, which uh, I watched because I like seeing the sun and the sand. And the oh, sand Pebble Beach is great. Oh, oh great. God, but, I want uh, to Goose, get a plane. Yeah. <laughs> Goose, well, what's the message there? I mean, what's the message we take from the first weekend? Well, this country can't get enough football, you know, which is why the XFL is going to restart in 2020 to compete with the AAF. You know, beyond the, the NFL has needed a developmental league since shuttering the World League. It's needed a place to develop young quarterbacks, cornerbacks, and offensive linemen. This is the place, and America clearly wants to watch. Well, one thing that, that struck me, and, and it was patently obvious, was that it was altogether different from the NFL. I mean, not only in talent. But in rules and in flags, no. um, there was yeah, there were some brutal hits, especially on quarterbacks, and and, and no penalties. Uh, I mean, did you see that blast on San Diego's Mike Brukovici? I mean, phew, I liked right. it. Yeah, I bet it brought back memories to. Kurt Warren yeah. with Mike Martz and the Rams. Well, maybe not memories, not now. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was old school football. And, and Ron, at least for one weekend, fans loved it. Yeah, well, there's no question about it. They 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 will continue to love it too because football uh, is a uh, you know it's a violent sport. You know, going back to CBS is a famous documentary on Sam Huff, the violent world of Sam Huff. That was like right. black and white right. days. You know, I mean that's uh, uh, that's what it's supposed to be. It's not flag football. Uh, you know, quarterbacks aren't supposed to be treated like they're Ming vases, vases <laughs> like that. Um, uh, you know, with a big "Do Not Touch" sign on them. I mean, football's a, a, a different game for quarterbacks and receivers when the rest of the players are actually allowed to play football. Football fans will like the alliance for that reason alone. Helicopter parents, however, will not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ron, what's the difference between a vase and a vase? Well, if it's a vase, you, know, you went to some good New England schools. If it's a vase, you grew up where I did. <laughs> and you stole the vase. <laughs> well, I didn't see anyone uh, really criticizing the hits all that much, but I did hear more than a few knocking the quarterback and offensive line play. And Goose, excuse me, isn't that why this league was created? I mean, to improve the quarterback and offensive line play. So, again, Goose, tell me what I'm missing here. Well, this is a second-chance league. You know, there aren't many, but there are some names are familiar to the average viewer. You know, a number of these players were good enough to be drafted out of college, but the NFL didn't give them time to develop their talents. But this league gives them that opportunity. There will be a number of players we're watching now who will be playing on Sundays this fall. Not overwhelming numbers, but numbers. You know, some players just need a little more time than others, and the, this league gives them that time. Yeah, no, that's right. And and as I mentioned, there are lots of rule differences. Um, and no kickoffs. Ball's placed on the 25, and you start from there. No extra points. Everything's a two-point conversion. The play clock is 35 seconds, not 40. No more than five guys can rush on any passing play. Boy, I, bet I like five Jared guys. I love five guys. I like five guys. I love too. bet Jared Goff would like that, too. bet he'd like five <laughs> guys, too. Uh, there's a Sky Judge. I love Sky Judges. You know, I like Clark Judges and Leslie Judge. Anyway, uh, and the, the overtime rules are different. So, um... Ron, which of these do you like, and which do you think we see in the NFL one day? 
Well, I like the play clock because anything that speeds up the pace of the game is, is a good thing. I like the eye in the sky. Uh, so does our pal Pereira. He wants it installed in the NFL. Yeah, right. uh, and I think that, uh, frankly, I think that's the thing that's most likely to be adopted uh, if it works for the Alliance. I, I could see the NFL you know, looking at that as let them test it and then see if we like it. Uh, and then I mentioned the fact that they actually are allowed to hit each other with vibrant enthusiasm, <laughs> which I like. I think you did. <laughs> I like uh, I like the two point conversion. I've always liked a two point conversion. You know, when the NFL pushed the extra point back uh, this season, the conversion kick was still down near automatic. It was ninety four percent. I'm all for eliminate the kick and put another football play back into the game. Give me the two point conversion. Don't kick okay. it. Okay. Cold play. Yeah, that's not going to go well with kickers. So, what, what's your gut feeling here? I mean, did people tune in more out of curiosity, do you think, or do people? continue to support spring football and, and really minor league football at that throughout the 10 game season which is what this is going to be well you know i think time will tell uh you know uh, as, as i said earlier when they move out of prime time and and they go on cbs's cable wing then you got to hunt a little bit harder to to uh, find them unless you're like Gooseman and you have your hulu and your, your roiku sticks and everything else is all programmed to do everything for you just clap your hands and it goes to wherever you want uh, but if you're like me and you got to you know look around, it could be a little uh, uh, more difficult. Uh, but the good news is, it's only, look, it's only 10 weeks. The weather still stinks in the east. And so people, uh, I think a lot of people will watch. All rise. Here comes the judge. Well, there's one offensive lineman I don't think we ever would have seen in the AAF. That's former Green Bay guard Gail Gillingham, whom I wrote about this week on our website, that'd be talkoffamenetwork.com, and who was considered by some people, in fact, a lot of people, in and out of the Packers organization as that team's best lineman ever. Now, he's in the Packers Hall of Fame, but he's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In fact, he's never been considered either as a finalist or a semifinalist. And that's more than a shame, guys. I think it's downright wrong. I mean, Gil Gillingham played 10 seasons with the Pack. He played so well that, as I said, people considered him the best lineman. Bart Starr said it. Hog Hanner said it. Former center Ken Bowman said he was the best guard he played next to. And he played next to Hall of Famers Jerry Kramer, Forrest Gregg, when he wasn't playing tackle, and Fuzzy Thurston. Now, Kramer and Gregg are in the Hall of Fame, and so is Gillingham. But one difference, Kramer and Gregg are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Gil Gillingham, as I mentioned, is in the Packers Hall of Fame. He not only isn't in Canton... He hasn't gotten a sniff. He's not been a finalist, and he's not been a semifinalist. And frankly, I, I wish I knew why. I mean, he was a six-time All-Pro. He was a five-time Pro Bowler. He was a two-time Super Bowl champion. He was the first winner of the NFL's Forrest Gregg Offensive Lineman of the Year Award. Furthermore, in his 10 years, he missed games in only one season. That was 1972 with then-coach Phil Bengston. He's just as incredible. He inexplicably switched him to the defensive line five days before the season. Well, you know, guess what? Two games in, he got hurt, and he was lost for the year. And when he returned to the offensive line, he was named All-Pro in 73 and 74, despite playing on mediocre Packers teams. I talked to former Hall of Fame voter and Packers archivist Cliff Crystal, and he said, I believe Gail Gillingham is the best lineman in Packers history. He was John Hanna before John Hanna. And, Ron, I know you don't like to hear that, but it was echoed by former Packers center Larry McCarron, who became a Green Bay broadcaster, and he said he was quite simply the best offensive lineman I've ever seen, bar none. So why isn't he in Canton? Well, that's a good question. It might be the position he played. I mean, the Hall, historically, as you guys know, is slow to act on guards. Or it might be Packers fatigue. There are 12 players from the Lombardi-era Packers in the Hall, including three offensive linemen. Or it might simply be the Gail Gilliam himself. Uh, he, he wasn't exactly the easiest guy to be around and not the most media-friendly person. And you know what? That's too bad, because he belongs. Gail Gilliam is gone. He died unexpectedly in 2011. But he should not be forgotten. It's high time we heard why he's not in Canton.
quick, well, there's a legendary photo of Jerry Kramer and Fuzzy Thurston leading a Packer power save for Paul Hornick. We've used that picture on our Talk Fan Network website. If that picture had Gillingham up front, not Kramer, would he have a bust in Canton right now? Yeah, Goose, he would if it were taken in the early 60s. But the problem was he didn't join the team until 1966, and then he played in 67. And after that, Lombardi left, and the Packers had only, only two winning seasons in the last eight years there. So by that time, the, the, the power sweep with the Packers, the Packers sweep, it was already identified. Kramer was there first, and he was considered a star in the 50th anniversary team. Nevertheless, it took voters 45 years to act on him. So they weren't going to put two guys at that same position and from the same team in. So I just think he was a victim of circumstance, and quite frankly, time. Hey, one suggestion to you guys before we go. Bring Gig Gail Gillingham's name up, please, in that senior discussion. He deserves it. Okay. Anyway, that's going to do it. Though we're not finished with the Alliance. No siree. We have one of the stars of the first week. That'd be running back Trent Richardson waiting to join us. And he will right after this. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, Trent Richardson's on the comeback trail, and he's come home to do it. In case you missed it, not many people did. Former two-time national champion and Doak Walker award winner at Alabama returned home last week. I mean, literally returned. I mean, back at Alabama's Legion Field to score two TDs and a two-point conversion in Birmingham's victory in the first-ever Alliance of American Football weekend. Now, for Trent, played in the NFL with Indianapolis and Cleveland, and in the CFL with Saskatchewan, it was a triumphant return to football. And we are happy to have him with us here today. Trent, thanks for being here. Oh, man, appreciate you for having me, man. Let's start with this this last weekend. You're back at Alabama on the field. Bear Bryant, you know, made famous. And you scored the first touchdown in the history of the Birmingham Iron. Uh, but you also got one of the oddest penalties I've ever seen in my life when you <laughs> spiked the ball and it bounced into the stands. And next thing you know, they were throwing flags and some guy on TV was saying, no souvenir rule. I had no idea what they were talking about. Did you know what that rule was and, and what was going on when they flagged you for doing nothing but spiking a football? Oh, it, it, it's really not about the football. It's not, it's not about the celebration, man. Uh, uh, you know, it just went to the stand and, you know, how to leave set up, you know, uh, you know, it's rules and, you know, but, you know, the celebration, you know, there was nothing wrong with that. Right. Uh, you know, I was just excited, man. I, I scored my first touchdown in Bill Bryant House, man. And so, you know, just excited, man, you know, to be in front of my kids and playing in front of my boys. My first time my boys got to see me score. So I got it right the second time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Turns out that it, it turns out those footballs are pretty expensive. You know, the chip inside is a tracking device to measure speed, spin rate, trajectory. You all scored that two-point conversion, second rushing touchdown. I guess you're more careful when you spike those other two balls, or didn't you spike them at all? <laughs> I just, I really just threw it behind me and hoped they didn't, you know, bounce out the stands. <laughs> um, and I got all types of calls about that. My, my, I done got all types of videos about it. My, my family, you know, really joking with me about it. You know, and, and it's funny, man, and it was fun. Um, and everybody could just enjoy themselves, man. And you know, that celebration, you know, I just celebrated with the, you know, my teammates, and you know, just you know, ate it up with them, man. And it was, you know, it was a good thing. Are you going to adopt the Barry Sanders philosophy, just handing the ball to the ref? 
Yeah, man, that's that's the new thing. I gotta, you know, be like Bill Simmons and individuals just hand them to the ref, man. Um, but you know, it, it's one of them things. Like, man, I, you know, I, my kids actually laughed at me the whole time, and you know, they told me after the game, like, my dad, my dad need to work on the celebration and stuff. Him, <laughs> him and Blake Simmons was sitting up there laughing at me and told me I need to learn how to dance and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't do all that dance, and I do a little something. I, you know, I cross my arms, I do my Run DMC little thing, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trent, speaking of Barry Sanders, I want to go back to the NFL. Um, I mentioned where Indian Cleveland you were, and, and you came out of college as one of the best and most powerful runners at Alabama, but you stuck mm-hmm. around the NFL, I think, for like three seasons. What happened? Um, I mean, some people say Alabama runners get pounded down by Saban's approach. How do you see it? What happened? Um, it, it was nothing about that, you know. Um, just had a lot going on, and you know, off the field type stuff. It was never wrong, never wrong with me playing football. Um, the situations I was in, you know, we when I left Cleveland, we didn't run the ball as much as you know we did in Cleveland, and we did in Indy. You know, we passed the ball sixty five percent of the time, uh, fifty five times a game. We were averaging, you know, passing the ball. Um, but you know that you know that life is behind me, man. You know, I'm moving forward. I'm to move forward, and you know, I'm ready, you know, to start, you know, my new career here, you know in the AFL and, and do what I can, you know, from here and set this stage and set a statement, you know, of anything I do. Oh, one thing, Trent, I wanted to ask you about, uh, uh, my understanding is, you know, you played uh, that year up in the CFL and you got hurt, uh, but then you came back for four games and, and each game was a little better than the previous game. Uh, but then my understanding was that you sort of had to choose between crossing the border to go back and play football and keeping custody of your of your kids uh what or not was an awful situation to, for anybody to be in i would imagine uh but i would assume a fairly easy choice for you how did you cope with that situation um you know it was just you know a family matter to me and, and for me um anything to do with my kids you know, no matter what it is, I'm always, you know, choose my family first and those are my hearts and that's me. Um, so it wasn't, a, you know, that fact of, you know, going back to Canada because, um, you know, I love, you know, Coach Chris Jones, man. He's one of the, you know, best coaches I've been around and, you know, he's a player's coach. Um, but when it comes to family and you know, situations, man, I'm going to handle that first. Speaking of your kids, we understand you weren't the first Trent Richardson to score a touchdown at Legion Field. Your son, I wasn't, man. I wasn't. <laughs> you know, and, and that's funny, man, because my son, you know, he always brag on, you know, him scoring the touchdown or him running. You know, he actually like ran over like four dudes, and I got to see my son celebrating. He was doing a uh, the, the the little dance he was doing and the little uh, what's the what's the Fortnite game they be doing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kept bumping me, and he comes to the sideline and all this type of stuff. Dad, I ran over four dudes. You see me? And, you know, it, it, it's crazy, man. So, you know, and, and he actually told me, Dad, you the second Travis in the school, you know, touchdown <laughs> in, in, in the new stadium, you know, that you're playing in now. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, and it's funny. And you know, we, we joke about that type of stuff. And he's all, he just turned six in October. So he's the only five-year-old playing the six shows in the season. So, you know, and he made the all-star team. So he, he brags about that all the time. And, you know, it, it's stuff like that you'll never think you hear that from a six-year-old. <laughs> Has, has Nick Saban offered him a scholarship yet? Man, you know what? It, it's funny because I said something to Nick, you know, about that. I like, because you're going to be the next generation. And you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be here that long, you know, that long. But if I'm still here, you know, we come to get him. <laughs> hey, Trent, I want to ask you about that game last week. Because afterwards, you said it was the first time in a while you had fun playing football. Was that because you were mm-hmm. back at Alabama or was there more to it? 
Um, you know, it, all types of things played into that, man. Uh, being back in Alabama, uh, especially the fan base, man, I love Birmingham. Uh, and you, you can always love count and always love Alabama fans. No, but just being back on that field, man, being with those group of guys and being able to play for myself and my family, man, that's, that was the biggest thing for me. You know, I, and when I mean family, you know, like my immediate family or my kids, you know, that's me. Um, I never got a chance to really actually play for them and I never got a chance to really actually play for me. Um, and so being able to do that and to take the approach that we had to, you know, going into the game and the preparation, man, it was, you know, it was one of the things that, you know, it, it was just fun. You know, it was just fun. We all had fun on the sideline, no matter what the situation is. I actually, to, to me, I, I felt like I played one of my worst games, you know, but, you know, in my head, you know, I had to, you know, stay up and, and you know, redeem myself for fumbling. I ain't fumbling in years, man. That's one thing I don't do. Um, and so, you know, my mind was, you know, get back on the field and do what I got to do. Now you're still a young guy at, at 28. Do you see the alliance as uh, sort of a stepping stone for you to get back in the NFL, or are you just oh, oh. content to be playing? Oh, most definitely, man. Uh, you know, it's a big stepping stone right here, man, to, you know, get back to the big show. Um, and, you know, that's what this league, you know, built for. You know, guys get back to the NFL or guys who never got a shot at the NFL or, or even for the coaches. You know, I know a lot of coaches want to get back to the NFL, like my head coach. You know, he's never been a head coach before. And he's got turned down some jobs that he shouldn't have been turned down. You know, you see what he's doing. You know, see the product he's putting out there. Um, his defense ain't nobody scored a, a point. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's big, you know, and... And, and for me, um, just being able to play with him, you know, being on the same, you know, uh, being coached, you know, underneath him, he done coached NFL, you know, championship teams with Pittsburgh, with with um, with New York, um, and, and you you don't hear nothing but great things about him, man. And the whole coaching staff that he put together are winners, you know, they they have a good, you know, pedigree, and that's what he's putting together. Well, one other thing is, is it uh, has it been difficult for you at all to sort of just accept the situation you're in? Obviously, when you you were the number three pick in the draft when you came out, you're the Doug Walker winner, uh, one of the greatest runners in Alabama history. You didn't assume at 28 you'd be in this situation. Do you just sort of accept it and say, well, that's the situation I'm in, and 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 I'm going to make the best of it, or how how did you sort of? Mentally, have to deal with uh, this situation. Man, you know, I, you know, when I was out there in Canada, man, I, you know, I had a chance, you know, actually be by myself, and, you know, just had to look myself in the mirror. You know, everything happened for a reason, and you know, the situation I'm in, and, and you know, the 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 way I got to present myself, and, and you know, being able to fight again, and just to be out there, it's a blessing for me. Um, so I never look at a situation as a loss. You know, I always just, you know, the setbacks it is what it is. But, you know, the major combat is always the better story. Sure. So, so what exactly is the difference between playing in the NFL, the CFL, and the Alliance? Um, really, man, um, the, the, the difference is, you know, the respect of the game. You know, you got to respect the game um, at any level that you are on. You know, you can't, you can't worry about, you know, a lot of guys say, you know, or, you know, a lot of guys in the NFL, you don't, don't respect the CFL. And, you know, it's, and, and there's a lot of great players out there. You know, even in this league, like this league here, it's a lot of great players out there, you know, that didn't have the opportunity or maybe, you know, didn't catch a ball or two or, you know, probably didn't run fast enough. And, you know, they didn't get the opportunity, you know. So these guys are actually more hungry, you know, than the guys, you know, getting the big books. Um, and so for me, man, um, the only difference is, Probably your coaching staff. You know, the coaching staff is just different. You know, for me, man, um, when I got to the CFL, I had to learn how to run out the shotgun. You know, that was one thing, you know, you know, I, I really didn't do, you know, coming out, you know, out of college or out of high school, or, you know, going in the NFL. 
Um, and so I got, you know, to learn a different, you know, offense, you know, a different scheme. Um, you know, and also, you know, being in the NFL, man, I out of I wanna say two, three years I had four different offensive coordinators. And so I was always picking up stuff on a run and being able to, you know, because we, we switched two different offense coordinators in Cleveland. We had switched offense coordinator in Indy, you know. So for me, you know, being able to pick up stuff, you know, and being around, you know, all these different offenses, you know, it's just better me. Well, unfortunately, Trent, for us, there are some things we got to lose, like time. we got to run. So thanks so much for spending time with us, and good luck with the season. Oh, man, I appreciate y'all. Right. Thanks, Trent. You got it. That was Birmingham running back Trent Richardson. Up next is Champ Bailey. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. For the second straight year, we had three first ballot choices in our Hall of Fame class, and our next guest was one of them. He's former cornerback Champ Bailey, one of four DBs in the class of 2019. And when we had him on this program last summer, remember guys, he told us he considered himself first ballot worthy. And you know something? Six months later, voters agreed. Champ, thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations on reaching the hall. Well, I want to say thank you to you guys. And, you know, without you, I know I wouldn't be in. But, I, I mean, I, it wasn't in my control, so I was able to sit back, relax, and let the process play out. But I am grateful for this honor. You know, I'm on a team that I can't be cut from, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to it and trying to. Well, let me ask you, because I mentioned this earlier in the uh, intro, when we spoke to you last August, you weren't particularly nervous or concerned or apprehensive about the vote, and you said you felt you were a first ballot choice. In fact, you insisted, I am a first ballot choice. Did that confidence wane in any respect as we got closer to that Saturday before the Super Bowl? Uh, you know, I have to admit, maybe a little. You know, because cause you get closer and then you start realizing, like, you really have no control at this point. You know, everything that I could have done to make my case that has been done. <laughs> so, you know, it's out of my hands. So I, I really, I mean, I'm thinking of any scenario that I don't get in. But at the same time, I always check myself, what what do I have to lose here? I mean, I know I'm first ballot uh, Hall of Famer. No matter what the voters say at this point, we know what I've done. It, it's just all about timing as well. So, you know, the timing was right, and, you know, my resume spoke for itself, and you guys agreed. Well, speaking of timing, champ, who's the first person you called after David Baker knocked or maybe thumped, I would say, more like it, <laughs> on your door? Wow. You know, I, I can't even remember calling anybody, but I got several phone calls. You know, I, I got a call from John Lynch. Uh, got a call. Well, I got a text from Edwin James. Guys that who were finalists congratulating me. Richard Seymour. Guys that I know that, that'll be in one day, should be in by now, but you know, they'll get their shot, and they're Hall of Fame worthy. And I really appreciated that because that finalist process is no joke. Jeff, how meaning, meaningful was it to go in the same time as Denver owner Pat Bowen in, in ironically, your home state of Georgia? You know, it, that, that, that's the icing on the cake, being at home and sort of having them come to my home. You know, in 04, I went to theirs, and now they're back in my home, and it's like we're, I'm re-signing with the Broncos all over again. I mean, it's that kind of excitement, but on another level. You know, just to be able to go in with the best owner 
in, in sports history, it, it just means a lot because I know when I got to Denver, Pat Bowling was, he was one of those guys that he made sure that everybody was comfortable in that building. And you never felt like you were less than compared to any team in the league, and I appreciated that. Okay, let me give you a hypothetical. How would you have reacted had you not been voted in on the first ballot? Well, I, I normally don't do hypotheticals, but it, this, is, <laughs> this is a good one. Um, I, I really, I really, <laughs> I really don't know. You know, it's, I was, I, I'm sure I would have been upset, but you know, I, the thing is, whoever you vote in, you really can't get it wrong. You know, it's like all these guys are worthy, so. Like I said, it goes back to timing. So I would have had a, a, a way to reason with myself and calm myself down, but there's no doubt I would have been a little bit pissed off about it. <laughs> you know, Jim, there were, there were 10 first ballot guys on the ballot. We had to tell five first ballot Hall of Famers that, that it's not your time yet. That's how tough this process was. Yeah, and... And that's what sucks because I know the guys that, that should be in. I mean, I see them. I have a bruise. Oh, my God. I mean, just to see these guys and how long they've waited and, and knowing what they've done in, in their careers, it's, it's, it, it kind of makes you appreciate it on another level because I know that I could be one of those guys on the outside looking in. Well, as you know, uh, a champion, I – uh, as you uh, mentioned when we were first talking, I presented the case for Ty Law. Speaking about a guy who's been on the outside looking in, he was a top 10 finisher uh, twice. Um, obviously, he had three Super Bowl wins. Uh, and I know he's a former teammate uh, of yours as well. Um, did you have any concern about the presence of uh, of him, you know, and that it might come down to, well, you know, okay, we got these two guys. Everybody knows they're both Hall of Famers, but this guy's been waiting for a number of years now, and the other guy's in his first year. Why don't we just put in the guy who's been waiting and then and, and, and sort of do it that way? Did How did you sort of look? Did you look at it as a you versus Ty kind of thing? You know, when I, when I sort of had my moment to analyze, you know, what I was up against, I said that there was no doubt that, you know, the possibility was there we could get in together. You know, I just kind of look at, you know, what preceded us. You know, you had Terrell Davis and – and Danny and Thomason go in together. The last year you had T.O. and Randy Moss get in together. You had uh, Ray Lewis, Brian Erlacher get in together. So those are guys that are very comparable. Just like me and Ty Law, why can't we get in together? And it did happen. And, you know, you never know how it's going to play out. But I wasn't overly surprised because I know he deserved to get in at this point. Were you surprised that, you know, in his case, you know, he had to wait uh, in your case, you went, uh, uh, you know, right in on on your first uh, shot. Did you do much sort of? Uh, I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, thinking about it, but did you go into any sort of real kind of analysis at midnight in your room? You know, thinking about, geez, if this guy gets in, and what about this guy? Because like like Goose said a few minutes ago, we could have thrown darts and anybody we hit belonged in the Hall of Fame on that list, in, in our opinion. Yeah, and that's what sucks. You know, you get down to the final 15, there's no doubt that every guy belongs in the Hall of Fame and probably will get in one day. And, you know, I but I always go back to what did I do compared to everybody else. And, man, I'm sure that's what you guys are looking at. I mean, does this guy, first of all, does he deserve to be in without any comparison? And then, okay, what is he up against? Uh, I mean, I, I would assume that's the way y'all look at it, but, you know, it, like I said, anybody could have got in. But I knew without any comparison, 
comparison to anybody. Without a doubt, I should be a first ballot guy. Uh, have you decided yet? You know, one of the big things always is who's who's going to be your presenter. Have you figured out yet who that was and how hard of a choice is it when I'm sure you have a, a lot of people that uh, were very important uh, in your career going all the way back to when you were a kid? Yeah, it, it is tough, you know, and I got a couple people in mind, uh, four of them family members, and one of them is close enough to be family. Uh, my, my parents, either one of them could do it. My, my brothers, I have a younger and older brother, and I'm, I, you know, I've had the pleasure of playing with both of them throughout my high school, college, and pro career. So having one of those four and then my agent, Jack Real, who's, you know, been with me since my rookie season and seen me go through the ups and downs on and off the field and watch my Hall of Fame career take place from day one, you know, he's obviously a choice that I have to consider. So, you know, it's, it's tough. I, I'm sure I'll, you know, go back and forth, talk to, you know, some people close to me and, you know, make a good decision. We're speaking with Champ Bailey. That'd be Hall of Famer Champ Bailey on the Talk of Fame Network. And, and Champ, Goose asked you earlier about Pat Bolin. Um, I'm wondering, since Pat is going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the same class as you, what was the best part of playing with the Broncos and playing for Pat Bolin? You know, it, it was funny. When I got to the Broncos, you know, I never thought I would leave the Redskins, first off, you know, until that final season. And I realized, you know, they really do not value me whatsoever. <laughs> and once you don't feel that love, and then you go to – and you have people out there have the opportunity to get you, and then you see that love coming back. It's like, okay, these guys are going to pay me what I asked for. They're going to treat me like I'm a franchise player and value my worth. And, you know, and it never wanes from day one to the time I was cut. That love never stopped. And, you know, that's, that's one thing I've, I felt when I got there, even before I got to the Broncos. You always felt like everything was going to be okay and they were going to take care of me no matter what because – I mean, that's the reason they were in the playoffs every other year or every year. You know, they were always in the running to win the AFC West. So, you know, with that track record, I do think we'll be uh, better on the other side. And, you know, lucky for me, I was able to land with a franchise like that with an owner like Pat Bowman. I mean, who couldn't, you couldn't ask for a better move at the time of my career. Champ, this is the first time that the Hall's ever put in two corners in the same class and also four DBs in the same class. And you four oh, yeah. make up a true secondary. Two corners, two safeties. You had 216 combined interceptions, which is incredible. How much of an honor was it for you to be in this class with those guys? You know, it, it, it didn't hit us until we were, like, in the room together. And then we start looking around, and we're like, man, hold on. You know, we all have 50-plus picks. So we started adding it up, and we were like, wow, you know, this – I mean, it's just those moments that you start, like, looking at your classmates. I mean, because we'll never forget each other. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like, the you know, the top five picks in the 99 draft. Don't even compare to this. You know, this is for a lifetime. And, you know, when, when you sit there and kind of, you know, compare each other's stats and talk about what we've accomplished, I mean, it's, it's a real moment. And I know we'll have a lot more like that, but that's, that's when we first realized how impressive this class was, especially going in as a full secondary. Never happening before. Man, 
unprecedented moments, man. You got to appreciate it. Champ, one of those guys, obviously, is Johnny Robinson, uh, 82 years old. Uh, Goose and I are on the senior committee. We've both felt for a long time that he should have been in there many, many years ago. What sort of ran through your mind? I don't know if you knew anything about him prior to meeting. What sort of ran through your mind when you saw him? Here you are going in, first shot out of the box, and here's one of the great players from the 60s and 70s, and he's 82 before he gets in there. What sort of went through your mind when you met him? Well, the, the class. You know, and he approached me before I approached him and telling me congrats. And it didn't hit me who he was until I looked again. And I'm like, hey, okay, that's Johnny Robbins. And then I'm like, well, congrats to you. This was before we were inducted or announced. And, um, you know, at that moment, that's when I really, like, got a little more interested about who he was. And, and I hear about his boy's home that he opened years ago and, and how he's so committed to that. I'm like, you know, how does a guy with 57 in, uh, intercessions in his career doing all this philanthropy work and, and just get overlooked all these years, you know? So it's just another, another level of appreciation, the way he handled it with so much class. And he knew he should have been in a long time ago, but it's almost like John Lynch. Like, we know, and he's telling – John Lynch is telling me about the process. So I appreciate guys like that, the way they carry themselves, because – that's the way I want to carry myself, the way they do. Hey, Champ, quick question here. We've got about 30 seconds left. If you had one guy who's not in the hall that you could put in the hall with a wave of magic wand, who would it be? Ooh. I, I got to go with Edwin James. And the reason being, he's a class of 99, a uh, mate of mine. And, and the dude came out balling year one, <laughs> rookie of the year, <laughs> NFL leading rusher. I mean, what? I mean, the dude did it all, and to do it at a high level for as long as he did, he deserves a nod already. Thanks, Champ. Thanks so much, and congratulations. Thanks for the time, and we will see you in Canton this summer. Yes, sir. Look forward to it, man. Have a good one. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks, Champ. That was Class of 2019 Hall of Famer Champ Bailey. Up next, it's our Hall of Fame two-minute drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're almost at the end of the first half, so... That's the two-minute warning. That's right, we're going to the two-minute drill, gentlemen. I hope you're ready, because I am. Time to draft an Alliance football team. Who's your first pick? I'll take San Antonio GM Daryl Moose Johnson and pencil him in as my fullback. <laughs> Pretty good. I'll take Garrett Gilbert. Any quarterback playing for Steve Spurrier is going to score points, real or fantasy. How many games are you going to watch this season, guys? Bet the under. <laughs> Keep it snowing like it is right now, Clark. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> what can the NFL learn from the AAF? The game is more fun to watch when defense is allowed to play defense. Or more simply put, Americans love violence. Yeah, I got it. Which would you prefer, the AAF or the Grammys? Give me football over vinyl any day. I ask you one question, Clark Mint. Did anyone get their helmet knocked off at the Grammys? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the Grammys, what I don't know, Ron, because I didn't watch it. Speaking of the Grammys, what would you nominate for Best NFL Song of the Year? Fly, Eagles Fly, and I missed it this February. <laughs> That's easy. Dire Straits, money for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ron, the Raiders can't play in San Francisco. Goose, where do they play in 2019? Oakland, where they belong. 
Exactly, I agree. It'll be as if they never left, because they didn't. Who retires first, Tom Brady or the Talk of Fame Network? One guy has nothing left to prove. The other three guys do. <laughs> we will never retire because there's no one sacking us. <laughs> Who makes it to Canton first, Julian Edelman, Ron, or me? <laughs> I'm going there's with Edelman. Answer. There's your answer. <laughs> Who makes it to Canton first, the one with the Chinese visa? <laughs> Jim Harbaugh wants the University of Michigan to build a Tom Brady statue. So what are his chances? They can put him right next to the Drew Henson statue because that's the quarterback the Wolverines preferred when they had Brady. Exactly. Why erect a statue of a backup quarterback? Father of modern scouting. Gil Brandt, Eddie Cotto, or Goose? Joel Buxbaum. Tonto. Go there, Kimosabi. <laughs> that's the end of it. <laughs> That's the end of our first hour, but don't go anywhere. We have former Chiefs GM Carl Peterson, our Valentine's Day gifts, and a salute to an unforgettable ref coming up in hour number two. So stay where you are. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to our number two of the Talk of Fame Network. I'm Clark, along with Rick Braun. And soon, meaning very soon, we're going to be joined by the man who drafted Hall of Fame tight end, Tony Gonzalez. That would be former Chiefs GM and President Carl Peterson. But first, guys, does this ring a bell? Oh, the one against... personal foul oh, pick this up. on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's given them That's right. It is former referee Red Cashin making the call in New York Jets defensive lineman Marty Lyons after he, well, you see the video, after he basically used Buffalo's Jim Kelly as a punching bag while Kelly, Kelly laid on the field following a play. I, I mention that because Red Cashin, with one of the most famous or infamous calls in NFL history, he passed away last week, Goose, at the age of 87. Here's a tidbit for you. The first time the three of us, the Patriots, and Red Cashin all shared a Super Bowl venue was January 1986, Superdome, New Orleans. Red officiated his first Super Bowl. The Patriots lost their first Super Bowl. And we were sitting in one of the worst press boxes in America. (laughs) (laughs) And the fridge scored a touchdown. The fridge scored a touchdown. (laughs) Yeah, he did. He killed Larry McGrew, the poor guy. Uh, you know, my, the thing I remember about Red was, you know, he wrote a book a few years ago, which he claimed that getting fired after one year as an official in the Southland Conference changed his approach to not only work but life. He claimed he was, they said he was too aloof, so he made a vow to live life, quote unquote, enthusiastically. <laughs> he then paid his own way to New York a few years later to go to the NFL offices and appeal for a job. He didn't get it, but a few months later they called him back and they said his enthusiastic initiative to showing up there unannounced convinced him. And that's how he became an NFL uh, official and later a great referee. Yeah, he was great. You know, uh, Red was also known for his first down calls. And he was a colorful character in a business that didn't and and really doesn't have any or or many. And I know that's the way it's supposed to be, Goose. i got to tell you, I love hearing this guy. Kind of like I love hearing from a friend of the show, Ed Hockley. I'd I'd put him all just for the first down call. Yeah, me too. Hey, Ron, you coach your son's hockey games. How many times have they given him the business? <laughs> Let me tell you, it may happen once, but nobody does it to him twice, as happened to a young man on Saturday who found his face against the glass. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> well, Red, hope you're given the business wherever you are. You're missed. This is the Talk of Fame Network. 
This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, uh, Gooseman, you remember when we used to go to the NFL Scouting Combine in the 1990s? It was late February, and, and we were part of a party of, I don't know, it was like six to ten reporters, and we waited in the lobby of the Crown Plaza. You remember that? Yeah, Clark, I thought that was, the Combine was the best kept secret in journalism. You know, you had every GM, every personal director, every head coach, every assistant, every scout, plus the top 330 players in that draft. You know, we had access to them every day, and there were only eight of us there to take advantage of it. Those days are long gone. <laughs> well, long gone. I, I ask that because the scouting combine is coming up, and ABC just announced it will have two hours of live coverage. Now, I, I think it's going to be can't wait wide receivers <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I bet you can't me either. <laughs> There's got to be a golf tournament somewhere to watch, right? <laughs> well, anyway, I guess they're going to watch. They're, they're going to film the, the, the quarterbacks and wide receivers they're throwing. And to which I ask, <laughs> Ron, live coverage of what? I mean, it's just guys in shorts throwing and catching footballs. You know, you can see that outside with you and Jack. Um, yeah, it seems like you know, it seems like people can't get enough of, like we said in the first hour of the show, they can't get enough of football and or the draft. And instead of like six to ten reporters, they're now close to, I think it's, Ron, like a thousand credentialed media yeah, members come at the Combine. Which, you know, guys, that's why I stay home. That's why I stay home. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. you got a thousand media members and, and nobody gets uh, a single thing that's fresh or unique or unshared. You know, they trot these guys yeah, out. Right. They have their programmed answers to your questions. And, uh, you know, you, you used to... Uh, you know, spent a lot of time hanging out with GMs and all that. Now they're all sort of sequestered. It's ridiculous. Uh, but I will say this. If Trump really wants to build a wall, you should consult with the NFL PR guys who run the combine because they know how to build a wall. Because <laughs> my favorite question always would be every year, have you spoken to the Browns? Because the Browns were elected like us last week. Of course they have. They've spoken to everybody. <laughs> you know? hey, uh, Goose, what was your favorite story from the combine? You've been going for, you were going for like two decades or so. What was your favorite story? I've got two. First, when Tony Dungy was coaching the Colts, he and I used to go to a Pacers game every combine. So in 2004, the, the year that Eli uh, Manning, Philip Rivers, and Roethlisberger came out, we went to a Thursday night game and were sitting in the front row across the player benches. About three minutes before the start, in walks Peyton Manning, his brother Eli, and his Colts teammates, Marcus Pollard and Mike Dawes, and they sat down with us. So that night on the TV news, there was a video of our group watching the game, and the universal question was, who's the guy sitting in the middle with Dungey, the Mannings, and all those Colts? <laughs> be a tough one to beat, Ron, but you got a better story than that one? Uh, well, you guys were part of it, so you'll remember this. Uh, the year I blew out my Patella tendon running I, on a I treadmill at the Embassy Suites, <laughs> I and I called the Patriots doctor, uh, and he told me to come down at 8 o'clock the next morning, which was Sunday morning, and he would examine my knee and tell me what's what. So I go in there, limping in, I got this pass, and I go in this little room, and there's two of these massive, like, offensive lineman guys from, like, you know, Michigan State or whatever, you know, and they look at me like, who in the hell is this guy? And this is the <laughs> oldest looking rookie I've ever seen, but he must have a bad knee. <laughs> They're all sort of patting me on, like, geez, what happened to your knee? I said, well, you know, a treadmill, you know, what happened? <laughs> Look like what? So, so you and you and the Gooseman have similar comments from from Indianapolis from the combine. Both of you guys had people saying, "Who the hell is this?" Guy? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> well, mine's the gift that kept on giving. You guys know this. The, the, the Monday morning oh, breakfast boy. we had with Coach Dave McGinnis, 
Coach Mac Mac over America, and it was at Shapiro's. You remember when we were there? <laughs> Goose, I'm sure you do. We were there, but the cook wasn't. He showed up, and you know, oh, that was really cool because if you wanted anything that had to be cooked, you were out of luck. <laughs> so it was like a big day for cold cereal. Yeah, I'll have the uh, yeah, I'll have the special K. Thanks. Um, anyway, with with the combine coming up, I, I noticed an intriguing story out of Arizona State that was written by Hall of Fame voter Kent Summers, and that centered on uh, Sun Devils Sunday. coach and, and friend of the show. Yeah, Herman Edwards. I mean, uh, you, you want to tell us about it, Goose? Because you're the one that drew my attention to it. Yeah, Herb said he wanted to prepare his players for life after Arizona State on and off the field. So he's letting his players speak to the media. You know, most colleges coaches, they show through their players. They don't want them anywhere near the media. You know, some use it as an excuse. He's a freshman. We don't want freshmen talking to the media. The kid may be leading the nation in rushing or our Heisman candidate, and he is not talking to the press. You know, some coaches will pick players to talk each week, and they may not even be the players we want to talk to, but you have to talk to these guys, not the guys you want to talk to. But at Arizona State, if you ask for a player, you get them. Herm essentially yeah, is saying, be an adult. You can say whatever you want, but be accountable for what you say. And I say, bravo, Herman Edwards. Yeah, me too. But, but Ron, of course, as you know better than anyone, this flies in the face of everything like a Bill Belichick or Nick Saban believes. But this is a guy who had a winning program, okay? So right. I'm just wondering if what, if any impact this is going to have on how college football programs treat the media. Do you think it has any? Uh, well, I would say no, unless uh, Herm starts winning and getting recruits coming because they say they like the atmosphere. Uh, yeah, you right. know. Uh, uh, you know, but he, he raises a good point, as Goose mentioned, about preparing these players for something beyond just playing football. But you know, some of these guys, uh, Nick Saban, here's one recruit say, you know, geez, I love to come to Alabama, but you know, Herm lets you like talk to everybody, and it's pretty cool. Boom! Next right. thing you know, they'll be they'll be all handing out drinks to the media down in Alabama. <laughs> Maybe That'll they do now, popular. Actually. That'll make him popular. Um, but as you guys know also, I mean, access, that, that's been an issue ever since we started covering the league. It really has been, and, and, it, and it continues to be an issue. But I'll be honest with you, and I'm being very honest, with, with, with social media sort of out of control and, and really no ground rules for what is and, and is not out of bounds, I'm not sure that if I were coaching today, I, I wouldn't pull a Belichick or Saban or, or anyone else who wants to shield this program from the press and say, uh-uh, no, not now. How about you, Goose? Well, the problem I got is the media is supposed to have about a half-hour window of access every day when the locker room is open. Yeah. All I would ask is that during that half-hour, the entire team be in the locker room. You know, too often there are eight to ten players there, and they're often backups or special teamers. The rest of the players, you know, especially the stars, are hiding out in the players' lounge, the cafeteria, the training room. So essentially, there is so little media access in the NFL anymore, and what little they give us, they take back. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Hey, I hear something. That, that's the signal. They're going to have access. Access to our own Ron Borges. That's right, Ron. It's your time to deliver. You have something to say this week about? I, well, I don't know. Ron. Take it away. What do you got? Well, this is all about the Alliance. The Alliance. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. You know, the Alliance may be uh, bogus in some ways, but the way they hit each other is not. Uh, there will be much hand wringing over the Alliance's return, which has already started, to what I call old school football, and millennials uh, will call jail yard football. Because if you hit in the NFL like the guys in the, in the Alliance did last weekend, they would handcuff you and send you to the pokey. <laughs> <laughs> when, when a linebacker named Sean Washington de- decapitated San Diego quarterback Mike uh, Berkovich. Here we, uh, there we go. Try it. Say Berkovich, uh, whatever it is, knocking his helmet literally three feet into the air and two yards wide. The place went wild. It's all over the Twitter sphere ever since. Same reaction came <laughs> with a hit on... He gave him the business, Ron. He gave him the business. Yeah, he, he, he gave it to him up there, though. Uh, same reaction with the hit on quarterback Matt Sims from a guy named Earl uh, uh, Kine. That guy should change his name to Earl Unkind, the way he leveled Sims. <laughs> but there was nothing bogus about the way he belted Sims just after he'd thrown the ball. And the best thing about it, guys, no bogus flag, 
No bogus begging by the quarterback for a flag. Nothing bogus about that play. The Alliance is not the NFL in a lot of ways. And one of them is that they don't tell officials to throw flags for legitimate hits from someone trying to make a legitimate football play. What one wonders is, if this keeps uh, uh, keeps up, will football fans start looking at the real NFL and conclude that that game they play today is the one that's bogus? I can guarantee you this. If they do, and the eyes begin to tor- turn toward the Alliance of American Football, you can bet on one thing. It won't be long before the big hits are back in the NFL. Hey, Ron, is there any truth to the rumor that Roger Goodell has already banned Sean Washington and Earl O'Kine from the NFL for life? Exactly right. He, he, he walked into his office and that thing was on and he said, you must avert your eyes from that. You cannot even look at that hit. I mean, that. but that, as you guys know, was the football that we knew for pretty much uh, most of our time around football until the last five years or so. And, and you see what it does. Yeah. You, know, you yeah, see yeah, but, what it but, does. But, Ron, you also know what it does. You're a big proponent of you know trying to shield these guys from brutal hits for CTE and concussions. You've always spoken out yeah. against that. So, I mean, how do you – yeah, it's old school football, but we've learned a lot in that time. How do you reconcile that with what you see? Well, I think there has to be some uh, reasonableness on both sides. And, and it's utterly unreasonable what they demand in the NFL now. Um, you know, there was a call in the, in the Super Bowl. I can't remember the guy they called it on. Uh, you know, for for supposedly hitting a, a defenseless receiver. receiver, and hey, there was nothing else he could do except say, "I'm not going to tackle him." You know, that was his only other option. Well, that's not fair. That's not yeah. football. And you know, and look, to a degree, you sign on. You know what it is now. Back in the day, they didn't. If you're still playing, and you parents out there, if you're letting your kids play, you're out of your mind. Uh, but now everybody knows. So if you're going in there now, you know, it's like a fireman. You're not going in there thinking you might not get burned. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Now, guys, let's get I together. I like firemen, little, by the way. <laughs> we're going to get together for a little group hug because we have our Valentine's <laughs> presents waiting in the wings. That's next. You're listening to the Talk Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Pretty interesting story I saw the other day. Um, did you guys know the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo could be handing out medals made of recycled material? <laughs> Anyone? Ron? To quote my friend Bill Belichick, that's not what we're looking for. <laughs> well, it is a true story, Bill. Um, apparently, materials from discarded cell phones, digital cameras, and laptops, I guess as well as obsolete handheld games, they're going to be made into metals with the quotas expected to be, re- be reached by March 31st. Now, that is a pretty imaginative and, Ron, I think a very cool idea. <laughs> Well, you may think it's cool, but personally, I would like my gold medal to be gold, my silver medal to be silver, <laughs> and my bronze to be, to be bronze. Gold me all-fashioned, but I'd rather not have a gold medal made out of a cell phone or a bronze medal made out of your laptop, especially not your laptop, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Nothing left on that. Hey, Goose, um, it, it's, it's, I heard a smart man once said, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, right? It wasn't Ron. It wasn't me. It was a smart man. So when does the NFL make its trophies out of discard? cell phones, digital cameras, and laptops. I got a better idea. I think the NFL should just keep giving the Patriots the same trophy every February. Think oh, all the money they'd save. Well, they already have. They do it every year. <laughs> it's the same trophy. Right. Just keep handing them the same one. Put scratch it Run. out. You know? Yes. It, it, uh, not the NFL. How about the Hall? How, I mean, how, I mean, if you know, if they can turn discarded cell phones and cameras into bronze medals. 
Well, they can surely turn them into bronze busts, right? Well, you're right. And in my humble opinion, they got a few guys in there who are already whose bronze busts already should have been made out of discarded cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't saying, but I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> hey, I want to see. I want to see Dave Baker present Terrell Owens with his recycled bust. You think he went ballistic over not being a first ballot Hall of Famer? Wait until he finds out he has a ten and bust. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have to show up to find out. Ain't gonna happen. Uh, and speaking of David Baker, Goose, uh, mm-hmm. I think we should send him a note. Maybe Roger Goodell. Uh, it, it just you know about this. I think it's a good suggestion. You know, I know just the guy to do it. That'd be Mark Leibovich, who's the author of Big Game, the NFL of Dangerous Times, is also friend of the show. Um, yes. I saw him last week at a book signing in Madison, Connecticut. It was a place called R.J. Julius. Went down there and uh, spent some time. They had a standing room only. It was great. And spoke to him afterward. Now, as I mentioned, we've had him on the show. Ron, you remember that? Sure. and Because um, he said he loved Ron Borges. He loved him some Ron Borges. Um, and like Rob then... read me. I hate it when they He say did. He did yeah. say that. Um, and like then, he had his audience captivated with stories of Roger, David, and the NFL, and uh, not what I'd call a complimentary way, but in Goose, what I would say is um, an informative one. Well, Clark, we weren't there. So tell us more. <laughs> I don't have the time. Read the book. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, he, look, he's, he's a great writer. He's got his uh, finger on the pulse of things. and uh, uh, But, you know... This idea of the of the phony metals. I mean, if Goodell gets wind of this thing, think of the opportunities. Not only do you <laughs> save money, but you can sell the naming rights. The Nokia Hall of Fame bus made by <laughs> Dell Computers. Perfect. <laughs> You're right. You, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, uh, in addition with it, on, on the subject of Mark, but what he said, which other was interesting, he said, I had an advantage because I was outside the NFL. Because he covers politics, as you know, in Washington. He said, as somebody outside the NFL, I wasn't beholden to these guys. I could write whatever I want because I don't have to talk to him again. And, Ron, he did write whatever he wanted. Yes, I mean, he, he was pretty cruel to some guys and cynical and sarcastic. But i got to tell you, I, it was a laugh a minute. It really was. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, I mean, he, that's always the advantage a guy like that has, you know, as Bob Costas found out, being on the other side. That's yes, right, uh, right. You know, that's you're right. on the inside looking in, next thing you're on your outside looking out. Yeah, well, um, anyway, that was fun. Um, it was great to see him. Again, the book is Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times. If you don't have it, what the heck are you waiting for? Um, I'm going to ask you guys the same question. What the heck are you waiting for? But not about books, but about Valentine's Day. It's this Thursday, February 14, of course, as everyone knows. <laughs> And I always considered it, not frankly, one of those celebrations designed to sell cards. Uh, never really got into it. Sort of like, uh, I don't know, never really got into Groundhog Day. But how about you, Ron? You big into Valentine's Day? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can see you're a guy who, you know, when you were in elementary school, you didn't get the, you didn't need the full paper bag to bring home all those Valentines. Yeah, Myself, Goose Man, you know, we were overflowing with Valentines. It was a love <laughs> fest, you know. Clark, tell your wife you can't get into Valentine's Day. Then tell her you can't get into birthdays or anniversaries either. And then head for the hills. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, and then she'll tell you court. you can't get in the house. <laughs> That's right. I'll head for divorce court. Hey, um, Ron, I know you live in Massachusetts, right? I do. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, there's there's a company I'm sure you're familiar with and all of us are familiar with, and that's Necco. Remember yes. those Necco wafers? Oh, um, exactly. It stands for New England Confectionery Company, and it's located, or at least was located, in Revere, Massachusetts, which I did know until the company was sold at bankruptcy auction last year. Um, now, among other things, Necco made those Valentine's sweetheart candies in right. the shape of hearts. Remember those? I mean, sure. they were kind of cool. They had those warm and fuzzy sayings like, 
be mine or kiss me or whatever. And for the first time in, I don't know, forever since we've been alive, um, they're not available this year. And they're not available because the company that makes, that makes them, Neko, is no longer around. So really sorry to hear that. My wife told me about it and I went, oh, wow, really? And I thought, God, that's too bad. But you know what? That shouldn't stop us. I mean, we can still hand out candy, right? I mean, even if it's left over from last year, I mean, why not? And, and why not do it now, guys? So we will. We're going to do it right here, right now. I'm going to pull out some Neko Valentine Sweetheart Candies, and you tell me whom or what should get it. Okay. You guys got any questions? It's no. pretty simple. Nope. It's not brain surgery. Self-explanatory. Okay. okay, okay. So let's start with this one. Let's see what we got. Let's see. Oh, what? What do you know? It's the old standby. Be mine. Goose, who gets it? Who or what? I'd like the no. parking concession from Jerryland to be mine. 90,000 <laughs> seats, $100 to park, 10 times a year. <laughs> be mine? Ron? That goes to Rob Gronkowski from Tom Brady. Be mine and don't be retired. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> speaking of those two, I'd give it to any of the 31 teams. I wonder what Tom Brady has that they don't. The answer, of course, is Tom Brady. <laughs> so this one goes out to all those who wish they had number 12. Okay, what do we have next? Let's see. Ouch. You'll love this one, Ron. Wicked cool. Who? that's easy. That goes to Ed Reed, or at least Ed Reed's hat. <laughs> Wearing that thing during his induction in August will be wicked cool, even if it's 100 degrees in Canada. I give it to the swagger of Patrick Mahomes. I don't think I've seen an NFL quarterback have as much fun on the field since Brett Favre. Mahomes is indeed wicked cool. Hey, Ron, when does that Ed Reed hat make it to the two men with hats? <laughs> we should get him on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's what we, we got to do that. Three men with hats. <laughs> yeah, Who's making interviews? <laughs> anyway, I'm handing the wicked cools out to anyone who uh, played in that. Patriots-Chiefs, speaking of Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs-Patriots AFC Championship game. When it was 23 degrees at kickoff, so it seems appropriate. Though you could have given it to the Chargers. Could have for their divisional playoff game in New England, Ron. wasn't cold then, but it must have seemed like an Arctic vortex to them. Okay, uh, let's see. Up next, let's get... Oh, this is a good one. Call me. Who's the lucky recipient, Goose? Tom Brady, who's about the only great quarterback we haven't had on this show. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What's up good. with that? Huh? What's up with that? Good one. Uh, it's going out to John uh, Doherty uh, from Roger Goodell after he signed Kareem Hunt. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it would be mine's going out to soon-to-be free agent Nick Foles. There are a lot of people out there who would like to hear from him, including the Philadelphia Eagles, but only one will. So call Nick, please, just call, and, and charge it to, I don't know, the Jaguars, Broncos, Dolphins, Giants, Eagles. I don't know, I think you get the idea. Okay, last one up. Ah, uh, don't take this too personally, Ron. It says, miss you. <laughs> who are you giving that one to? Uh, that one's easy. That goes to any receiver expecting a pass from Christian Hackenberg. Sorry, <laughs> miss you, or missed you. <laughs> that would be the Alliance's Christian Hackenberg. <laughs> I give that little heart to Brett Favre. He gave the most freewheeling, no-holds-barred interview in the NFL. You never knew what he was going to say. He was so refreshing, a far cry from the cliche-ridden interviews of today's stars. It was the yeah. best. Well, was yeah, the best. he was. And remember, we had him on the uh, on this show? 
five oh, or four years ago. Great. 40 minutes. We had right. 40 minutes. Um, anyway, I'm giving my miss you to uh, former quarterback Peyton Manning from Denver because the Broncos, yeah, they've never been the same since he left. Um, okay, guys, full disclosure. I um, want to make sure we get this straight. I said Neko stopped making sweethearts candy, and they did. But lo and behold, this month, Brock's has stepped forward and said, Hey, what's the big deal? We've been putting out conversation candy since 1960, and we're going to continue doing it. So I want to send our congratulations to Brock's for making this a Valentine's Day to remember. And in gratitude, guys, any conversation you, or conversation candy, you would like to send out, and to anyone, anyone, in or out of the NFL. Yeah, I give a candy imprinted hugs to every pass rusher in the NFL. That's the only way to avoid a penalty flag for roughing a passer in today's NFL. Hug him, hold him, don't let him fall. If he hits the ground, it's going to cost you. <laughs> like the goose man, I got to send some. I got to send a little candy to Patrick Mahomes. Red hot, because that's what he is, and Andy Reid hopes he stays that way. Hey, Ron, what are you doing if you get one of those hugs candies from the goose man? I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah, I don't think it's going to I happen. I might have to either. rethink my position on the Gooseman. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm going to send out one of those be nice candies to wide receiver Antonio Brown, who has done a nice slash and burn on Pittsburgh and the Steelers, Mike Tomlin, Ben Roethlisberger, you name it. Everyone but the Talk of Fame Network, I think. But come to think of it, guys, remember when he tried to get him on here once? No, it was twice. No, wait, it was three times after he joined us in Phoenix five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, he stiffed us each time. So, Sorry. Antonio, this one's for you. Be nice. Come on, would you? That's going to do it for our Valentine's Day celebration. Up next, one of our favorite interviews, it's former Chiefs president and GM Carl Peterson. wonder what conversation candy we should give him. Hmm. Well, we can figure that out when we go to break. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the Irani Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, two weeks ago, we had then Hall of Fame candidate Tony Gonzalez on this program. And now, of course, we can call him Hall of Fame inductee Tony Gonzalez as he was named to the Hall's Class of 2019. Now, Tony can, and maybe already has, thank our next guest because it's former Kansas City GM and President Carl Peterson who chose Tony with a Chiefs' first draft pick in 1997, I think it was the 13th overall, and watched him flourish into what's now a first ballot Hall of Famer. And Carl, as always, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, gentlemen, and I'm obviously, uh, like uh, thousands of fans around the country, and particularly in Kansas City, thrilled that uh, you all voted for Tony Gonzalez as uh, this year's class Hall of Fame uh, inductee. Well, Carl, how much pride do you take in his election? As I said, you chose him. How much pride do you take? Well, you know, you always take some pride because when you draft a player, uh, and I've been fortunate to have a couple others and Derek Thomas and Will Shields, you want them to, to be the very best. You want to, you know, be right in your decision on choosing them or selecting them. and uh, But you don't know. And, and, of course, a player in his career, there's so many uh, avenues that he comes to and turns that he has to make. But Tony uh, surpassed all of uh, certainly my hopes and uh, and desires for him to be successful, not only on the football field, but uh, also off. And uh, I'm just uh, couldn't be more proud. As I told Tony, I said, I'm kind of like a, a proud parent. When uh, you know when your your son graduates from whether it's high school or college, 
and now he's got to the uh, the epitome of, of the professional football ranks, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Well, Carl, I mentioned that 97 draft. and go back there for a second. You traded up from the 18th spot to the 13th overall pick to choose him. You traded with Tennessee, and Tennessee took defensive and Kenny Holmes with that 18th choice. Two questions here. A, how come you weren't charged with grand larceny? And B, what was it about Tony or his game that first drew him to you? Well, first of all, uh, the insight here is, is that Floyd Reese was the general manager of, uh, I think it was the Houston Oilers. Maybe you're right. Maybe Tennessee had made the move. But uh, in 97, <clears throat> Floyd and I had coached together at UCLA. So, and we're both UCLA alums. So, had kind of an in in uh, in deal there that, that I needed to get done because, very frankly, uh, another UCLA alum, quarterback that uh, took the Dallas Cowboys to uh, three Super Bowls, let me know that Dallas was going to draft him if if he was available on their pick. I think they had the 14th or 15th pick. So I told Marty, we got to get ahead of the Cowboys. And uh, and we did. I was able to do that. And I didn't think it was Larson. I gave up a third-round draft choice uh, and maybe a smaller one with that to Floyd to, uh, to move up five spots. But Tony was an exceptional, not only obviously college football player, but he was an outstanding college basketball player at Cal Berkeley. And we had actually seen him play on our highlight film that we did for every player that uh, in getting ready for the draft. We actually put some footage on there. He had a big game, I believe it was against Stanford, uh, played in the NCAA's uh, uh, tournament. And uh, anyway, I knew that this guy could be something special. Uh, if we could get him, and of course, uh, moving up five spots—that was—that was really important. Couldn't have done it without Floyd Reese, and I always am indebted to him. We always talk about it. He got a good player too, but at the end of the day, you—you uh, you don't know when you're drafting, whatever round it is, that this guy may become a Pro Football Hall of Famer. And uh, Tony did that. He, he certainly is well deserving of all his accolades. Okay, as you know, he's the first first ballot tight end in NFL history to go to Canton. In your yes. book, does that make him the greatest tight end in NFL history? Without question. I, I don't know that I've seen one better. Um, uh, you know, there have been some exceptional ones. There's a couple of young guys. There's a guy in Kansas City right now that's, that's uh, certainly on, on his way to having a, a Pro Bowl, or I should say a, a Pro Hall of Fame career if he continues, but Tony, um, he did it all. And uh, what he couldn't do well, if you want to say that, uh, he learned how to do it. Uh, we had Jason Dunn was our backup tight end, a, a marvelous blocker. And Tony uh, was not a guy that's going to knock you off the ball, but he wanted to make a block if he was asked to do that. And we had uh, three or four thousand-yard rushers for five, six years. And he was a big part of that because he could position just about anybody with his athleticism and seal people off. But he, he wanted to do that. He wanted to be the best on every snap. Um, so in my mind, yes, uh, Rick, w without question, I don't think there's a better tight end. I think uh, he's well-deserving of that first ballot, but I know how hard that is uh, to get done. And uh, I'm just thrilled and, and, and proud of him. 
Uh, I believe, uh, Carl, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in 2008 you nearly uh, traded Tony to Green Bay for a third-round pick, but the deal fell through. Uh, what was your thinking then, and how angry was he, and, and how did you sort of deal with that situation? Well, first of all, I wasn't going to trade him. And uh, uh, I wasn't going to trade him basically for anything. I told him that. I said, Tony, you're too valuable to this franchise, uh, both on the field and off the field. He, he was a tremendous philanthropist. And uh, my wife and I did a lot of uh, things with he and his wife, first fiance, October, Toby, and then became his wife. Um, <clears throat> He was the essence of Kansas City, so I was not going to trade him and in any fashion. Um, um, I'll be candid. Green Bay didn't offer that. They offered uh, less than that, and, of course, I wasn't going to do anything anyway. But uh, he was angry. He was very angry because uh, we were at the end of, of my career uh, the last couple of years. It's the only two years in a row we ever had uh, losing seasons out of uh, we had 15, uh, uh, only five losing seasons. It's only once that we had two in a row. But Tony was in that and wanted to go. And I understand that. We didn't have a quarterback. We lost everybody. But I said, I'm not going to do it. He got his wish uh, the, next, uh, the next year when I left. Uh, the regime that came in traded him. And he immediately went on to four or five more Pro Bowls in Atlanta. And they tried to replace that tight end position with, I think, three or four guys and never even came close. Um, he was an irreplaceable guy, in my opinion. Uh, we, we had our differences on that, but, but then uh, we got them smoothed out. And uh, before we go, I do want to tell you a quick story about his first agent, Lee Steinberg, and when we, uh, when we drafted him. Sure. <clears throat> Obviously, I get a phone call the minute uh, we we picked Tony, and it's Lee Steinberg, and he said, Carl, it's Lee. I've known Lee a long time. He's a Cal Berkeley guy, too. I'm a UCLA guy. And he said, uh, listen, it's quite obvious you really wanted Tony to move up five spaces. So I just want to let you know that uh, you're going to have to pay more than the 13th pick in the first round. Uh, because it's obvious uh, you wanted this guy, you need this guy, and I want you to understand that we're going to negotiate for a premium number for uh, the 13th pick. He, he said, and and he said, if you don't want to do that, then we will go to the NBA and play in the NBA. Hmm. And I said, uh, uh, Lee, I'll get right back to you. So I got off the phone and I called. Uh, obviously, Lee didn't know that Lamar Hunt was a 10% owner of the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> and uh, Jerry Reinsdorf and the GM there, uh, Jerry had, had come up to Chiefs games and we had gone to Chicago Bulls games. Uh, I had gone with Lamar a, a few times. I saw Michael Jordan play. It was fabulous and so forth. But anyway, so I got on the phone with uh, uh, their department. I said, look, it wants time, but what do you have on Tony Gonzalez playing in the NBA? And uh, the GM got right back, Jerry, and he called and he said, Carl, uh, excellent rebounder, uh, great intensity, a fine, fine college player, but an average shooter. Carl, uh, this boy needs to make his living in the NFL because he's not going to make it in the NBA. <laughs> I said, Jerry, that's all I need. Thank you. I hung up the phone. Obviously, called Lee right back. Steinberg said, Lee, according to my sources, uh, your client will not be playing in the NBA, so we're going to pay him what's appropriate for the 13th pick in the first round. <laughs> and, uh, and we did. 
And finally, Lee actually called me. He said, Uncle, you got me. All right. What 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 can we do to get this done? And we we got it done. And anyway, uh, he uh, Tony. But every every contract, guys, I can tell you. Obviously, he went to Tom Con and after Lee Simmer, every contract was. Oh, if we don't get this done, Tony's going to go play in the NBA. And I would always say, yeah, sure he will. He'll he'll be outstanding there as the tenth or twelfth guy. <laughs> anyway. Uh, he made the right decision, and Lord, what a career! Seventeen years, twelve with us, and five with Atlanta, and uh, and it's come to a, a a culmination of again what you guys do so well. Your Hall of Fame voters, and uh, he's. Uh, I know how thrilled he is. I talked to him uh, Saturday night, uh, Sunday after the uh, the vote at uh, the Super Bowl. Anyway, special, special guy. Uh, one last quick question. We got about forty-five seconds, Carl. Uh, would there have been a Tony Gonzalez in the league uh, had it not been for Kellen Winslow, who seemed to kind of open up a little bit? Uh, you know, the idea of a uh, of a more athletic basketball player type guy. Yeah, I, I think certainly uh, he he began the trend, if you will. And I'll be candid; I wasn't looking for a trend of, of drafting of drafting a bas- college basketball player to make him a uh, NFL tight end. Uh, Tony was an NFL, in my opinion, uh, tight end caliber uh, player at the Cal Berkeley and then proved it. But he just also happened to be an outstanding, outstanding college basketball player. And, um, uh, you know, to his credit, in the offseason, he would always come back in great shape. He would he would go home to California. But he would play in the in that NBA developmental league or whatever. I always held my breath because I didn't want anything, him to get hurt. <laughs> but but at the end of the day, um, I think that helped him. And uh, I know this that every single quarterback, uh, uh, Trent Green here, obviously, and, and the others that we had, uh, were looking for him. Particularly when we crossed the fifty yard line, got in the red zone because. Uh, he was money in the bank. If you could get it close, he would find a way to position his man to get up and come down with it. And, of course, that trend now has uh, proliferated in, in the NFL. Hey, Carl, we got to roll, but thanks so much for the time. Thanks for your help last summer with the contributor class, and we will see you this summer in Canton. Hey, you three guys, thanks so much, and thanks again for what you do for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's, it's been fun, and call me again. Talk we'll to do. Hey, Carl. We'll okay. do. Thanks, thanks Carl. Carl. That was former Chiefs executive Carl Peterson. Up next, Two Minute Drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We're just about out of time, so tell them to blow that whistle, Robert. That's the Two Minute Warning. Thank you very much. That's right, it's the Two Minute Drill. So guys, let's get going. It was Abraham Lincoln's birthday this week. So, Honest Abe, Lincoln Chafee, Lincoln Kennedy, or Lincoln, Nebraska? Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley, he's big in these parts. Lincoln Logs, build something. (laughs) (laughs) And they will come. When's the next time we see Roger Goodell in New Orleans? One day after we see Bill Vinovich in New Orleans again. (laughs) Actually, it'll be on Wednesday, March 6th. He's given up hiding for Lent. If and when he dares go there, guys, what's your advice? Stand behind Vinovich. <laughs> Say the rosary and avoid Bourbon Street. <laughs> Given all that we know about CT in concussions, why would Kyler Murray choose football over baseball? 
He gets paid to play only 16 games as opposed to 162 if he has to play baseball. There can only be one reason. He already has CTE. <laughs> so who drafts him? The team with two quarterbacks coming off broken legs, the Washington Redskins. Who drafts him? Someone who wants to make a five foot eleven or less mistake. J-E-T-S Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Brown bid farewell to Pittsburgh this week on Twitter. Where is he going? Maybe he's uh, in the CFL. The open camp in June. That's always been a receivers league. <laughs> he's going wherever the Steelers want him to go. Welcome to Arizona. The Chiefs told Patrick Mahomes to stop playing basketball. Like it or loathe it? Like it. I've had too many friends blow out Achilles playing basketball. Why risk it? I like it too. He should be wearing bubble wrap, not shorts. Cleveland signed Kareem Hunt. When will the league clear him to play? I predict 2020. I say six games into the season. Cures come quick in the NFL. If the Browns did, quote-unquote, extensive research, as they said, on him, why didn't they talk to the woman he assaulted? Because the league will handle that part of the research when they suspend him. Because they already know he did it, and they know he comes from an extended family of incarcerated men, starting with his dad, 35 arrests, his brother, and his cousin. What happens first, Ron getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame or building the wall? Alphabetically, Ron's plaque will hang on the wall between Toe Blake and Punch Hamlock. <laughs> I will skate in. That's the end of the Well, if you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, thatbetalkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. Thanks for listening.